Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Hello, everyone. Today, we're talking about mattering, and we're doing that with an absolute expert on the topic. Zach Mercurio is a researcher, adjunct professor, consultant, keynote speaker, and author. Zach specializes in purposeful leadership, meaningful work, and positive organizational psychology. He's worked with global companies, nonprofits, K-12 schools, and even universities around the world. Zach earned his PhD in organizational learning, performance, and change from Colorado State University. And last but certainly not least, he is the father to two young boys. Thank you for coming on today, Zach. Yeah, thanks, Emily. Like I said when we talked earlier, I'm excited for this one. Yeah, definitely. I know you do a lot in the you know, company organizational space, but as we're going to talk about, your work, your research applies just as much, if not more so, to our kids. Everyone was a kid. <laughs> exactly. Everyone yes. I work with was a kid. And so many of the things I see are manifestations of what does or does not happen in childhood. That in and of itself is something we're going to get to and unpack. Yeah. But first, I'm sure everybody on a gut level understands that, yeah, it's important. We should all feel like we matter. But can you flesh that out some more? Why is it so important for people and our kids in particular to feel like they matter? Well, it might be important to think about the experience of anti-mattering. Mm. which is what happens when we don't experience mattering. And mattering, it's important to define it because it seems common sense, Mm -hmm. but what we find is that it's not common practice. And what I mean by practice is that mattering is a feeling that can be cultivated. It's one of the most powerful concepts and forces in human life that is largely dependent on how others treat us. So it's really a human community effort. Mm -hmm. And we typically experience mattering when we feel noticed, when we feel affirmed for our strengths, and then when we feel relied on. And so, you know, I just invite your listeners to just do a quick thought experiment and think about the moment, the first moment, in your life where you felt like you mattered and what was happening, what was, what was going on around you. And then I also invite you to think about when you felt like you did not matter and what was happening and what you felt like. And I want you to imagine your life without the first experience and only the second experience. And when people feel like they don't matter, they feel like they can't contribute. We know that anti-mattering results in feelings of hopelessness feelings of uselessness, and feelings that we don't have anything meaningfully to contribute. So Gordon Flett, he's a researcher. He wrote the book, The Psychology of Mattering. And he cites a really interesting study that he talked to people with um, severe mental health distress and, and severe clinical depression. And one of the repeating thought patterns with people in those states, especially adolescents, is nobody needs me. No one would care if I was here or not. 
that's a mattering issue. So it is crucial, I think, to make sure that our kids, ourselves, the people around us know that they're relied on, they're needed, they're essential part of the world around them. And we know that the outcomes, both from a mental health perspective and from a physical health perspective, are very divergent when we look at people who had those experiences of mattering and people who don't. Wow. And what I really like, the one word I've hung on to the most of what you said is cultivated. And I find that really encouraging because to me, that means we can make that impact. We as parents can cultivate that in our kids. We as people of any age can create that impact on somebody else. And that's encouraging. It's not something that's fixed. It's something we can create in others. Mm. That's exciting. Yeah, we can give people the evidence of their worth. Whoa. Because we can show people the evidence of how their existence means something. And we're the holders of that. And when we think about questions like, what is the meaning of life? I think that there are many meanings of life, of your life, and those are held by the people that you impact. But if we never get to experience the evidence of our worth through people reminding us of it, pointing it out in us, then it can be very difficult. And I can speak to this personally, because I was the youngest of three boys. And as the youngest, you get good at a couple things. One is entertaining yourself. And the Mm -hmm. second is comparing yourself to others Mm -hmm. and trying to measure up and trying to fit into every different group and do things to give yourself worth and feeling invisible. And that clawing for significance, because I never was told I was significant, led me to pick majors I wasn't interested in in college, led me to get into a job. I picked my first job because a woman came in on career day and she had a nice watch. And I started thinking about, I could work in advertising and how cool would that look to other people? And I think Mm -hmm. that's a ton of how our educational system and even our familial systems prepare people. We prepare people for the idea of of a person that's better than who you already are. And I was always striving for that significance and it led me into a very dark place, which led me into a career in which I want to make sure everybody asks those questions and gives people meaning because I didn't really experience it myself. On that exact note, you talk about how the educational system treats students according to what they are not yet. Why is that so dangerous? Yeah, I will add into, and this is not shaming anybody. I've been guilty of all of this. It's bringing this to awareness, but I would make sure that we know that the educational system includes the family. Oh yeah. I love that. And I think that that's really important because the questions we ask people and our kids determine what they pay attention to. So if we ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up versus what do you like about yourself now? I mean, if we ask yourself, So do you want to go to college versus where do you think your gifts would be most needed in the world? Or if instead of asking, what do you want to do with your life? We asked people, what do you think your life should do for others? What happens when we 
ask the former questions is that we instantly, and we don't do this on purpose because we want what's best for our kids. Everybody listening wants what's best for your kid. Right. You want them to be secure, safe, stable. But what we do is we take this illusion of security as having a future plan. But the ultimate security is having a positive sense of self-worth that endures. That's security. That security that transcends context, that transcends career, that transcends job. And that's what I think we should be preparing our kids for, to know that they matter and how they matter. And regardless of what career they go into, those are mere delivery systems of the contribution that they were built to make. I get that this is simple stuff, but this is mind-blowing. You're so right, and I'm feeling so convicted as you're juxtaposing the one set of questions with the other set of questions because I, too, am totally guilty because we've sort of just been trained to ask those future planning type questions. But you're right. It doesn't validate who you are today, what's perfect about you, what your talents and capabilities and gifts are independent of what's happening tomorrow, what's happening five years from now, what can you contribute today? And there's inherent value in that. I am absolutely going to work on the types of questions I ask and think more about the words that I'm using. That is just awesome. Here's the thing though, as parents, Uh we have a running list of questions in our head too. (laughs) True. So like you wake up, what am I going to do today? Versus how is what I'm going to do today going to impact other people? There's a great, I like Jerry Colonna. He wrote the book Reboot, but he always talks about how you lead. And I believe parenting is the ultimate leadership role. Mm-hmm. How you lead is directly correlated with your sense of who you are. And I think that if we are so motivated by the next thing, if I get this next job, then I'll be successful. If I get the salary increase, then we'll be more secure. And if we keep putting our worth as parents off to the then, it's very hard then to turn around to provide a different message to our kids. So I think the personal work is parental work. Mm -hmm. That makes complete sense. You can't give of something you don't have yourself. Yeah. You've researched and revealed this three-part formula to mattering. Can you talk us through that? So this actually is not my research per se, but it comes from research from adolescent psychology and this psychologist, his name is Gordon Flett. The book is called The Psychology of Mattering. It's a great book. I encourage anybody to read it. I think it's a must read. And the three things that manifest mattering are this idea of being noticed. So being noticed means that, and I'll just take my day, for example, the FedEx driver delivers a package to my door. There's anti-mattering and mattering in that moment. I can go to the door, take the package, not make eye contact, and he leaves. That's actually a small but very powerful moment of anti-mattering I create. Or I could look him in the eye and I could say, hey, what's your name? Hmm. Oh, it's Bob. Okay, Bob, thank you. Thanks for delivering my package. Those are little moments. That's being noticed, being seen. It's like making sure you know who your kid's friends are. You know, instead of lamenting that your kid wants to watch a tablet 
which my kid always asks, and I watch my tablet mm-hmm. now, asking him, hey, what show are you watching? Can I watch a little bit of that with you? And saying, what do you like about this show? Why do you want to watch it? Why do you want to watch this show right now? That's being noticed. And so often we just say, put the tablet away. No screen time. That's an anti-mattering experience. Whoa. I'm feeling so convicted throughout this whole conversation. In a good way, though. You're making me so aware of the unintended consequences, right? Because we would all say, absolutely, we want our kids to feel they matter. But you're just illuminating these little day-by-day interactions that in and of themselves may not feel significant, but they build. And I think it is so important that we're aware of that cumulative impact. And we don't want the anti-mattering. We want mattering. So this is awesome. Okay, so the first step is to be noticed. What's number two? To be affirmed that the person or your kid, for example, has unique strengths that they exhibit. For example, recently, my five-year-old brought my two-year-old his shoes to get ready in the morning. Sort of melts your heart and you're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. But it's going a step further and saying, hey, when you uh, got Jackson his shoes, that just showed me how much you care about your brother. And I want you to know that caring about somebody when you're trying to get ready for school too is really awesome. You know, so it's like, affirming his caring nature versus like, get Jackson his shoes. Let's get out of the house, right? It's those little moments. And I actually see him change. My five-year-old, and I don't do it all the time. I screw up a lot. I do that. Their body language sort of perks up. They get real proud of themselves. And that pride in oneself is mattering. So noticing people's strengths and affirming those strengths and the difference that they have on other people. I would say going a step further, I should have said, oh, and that was probably really nice for Jackson to have his shoes right there so he could get ready for school. Show him the impact. What's so important about what you're saying right now is this is not empty praise. It's not generic praise. Hey, good job. Awesome. Cool. Everybody gets a gold medal. The key here is how specific it is to the action that child took and the result and then what it means about them. So, Mm. wow, you got his shoes. That made it easier for all of us to get out the door faster this morning. That shows me you are kind. You are Mm. considerate. You are a good brother. That's right. And when they know the behavior that was good, they're more likely to repeat it. And especially when they know the impact that it had on someone else. So what's part three? Part three is showing people that they're relied upon, Mm -hmm. that they're needed. So noticed, affirmed, and needed. I'm thinking this could possibly be the most challenging for kids because they're often the ones relying upon everyone else. You know, I Mm. rely on my teacher. I rely on my parents. I rely on my coach. And I could see this being challenging to go the other way. It's definitely a challenge because, again, we're like, okay, my kid's five. What does he know? But this is what happens. We tend to think that usefulness and being needed correlates with age or experience. Or I see this in the workplace all the time in my work. But really, I need my five-year-old 
And I'll tell you why. Like one example was is that he, again, I'm using my kids because that's my world. So I see Tapley playing with Legos. Jackson's playing with his Legos. Tapley helps him put together a brick, right? And I say to him, Tapley, like, you are helping Jackson learn all the things that you know. Like, I'm not sitting there with him. You're doing that. You're helping him learn. Like, Jackson would not be learning what he's learning without you. So being able to say to somebody, our family wouldn't be the same without you. You know, we need you as early as possible. And I would say, especially into the teenage years, that you are needed. We need you. And that message coming across really clearly, I think, is so vital. And for everybody else. And then I would say, showing your kids that they can do this for other people by doing it yourself. Like the FedEx person, just looking at them, saying, thank you for doing this. You know, I make sure that when the garbage person comes, this is because of my research. I research frontline workers, mattering and meaningfulness. When the garbage person comes, we go outside, we say hi, and we talk to them every time. And again, you can see the change Mm -hmm. in the person who is going about their their business and they get so excited to come to our house. Yeah. We'll talk about people that often don't get noticed. Yeah. That would be those frontline workers. And just that even the first step, let alone the second and third step, you know, they just don't even get noticed most of the time. So I can see how powerful that is. And in this pandemic we're in, the government and politicians have co-opted this word essential. Talk about an anti-mattering statement that certain people are essential. Certain people are non-essential. I love the highlight of frontline workers as being essential, but we need to create an environment where all people feel essential, Mm -hmm. not just some. That word essential means that last point of mattering, relied on, needed. But it creates, to your point, that effect of if only some are essential, then others are non-essential. Right. And that's making a judgment about the value of their work, thus the value of who they are. And we legislate mattering. (laughs) I mean, we legislate essentialism. And so I want to take that word back. It's all these unintended consequences. And the words that we use matter. We talk about that a lot on Mothers of Misfits, that labels and words come with a lot of power. So you've worked with a lot of 17 and 18-year-old students in particular. Yeah, yeah. And you teach them those two components, not only that they matter, but the words that they use are powerful in how they can make others feel. Mm. And that is along that same thought process that you're talking about, which is People need to know how powerful they are with what they say about others, both for the good and how they can potentially damage that person or have them feel like they don't matter. Yep. There's an exercise I do with high schoolers, and I ask them this question. It sounds cheesy at first, but I ask them, how have you changed the world today before whatever time it is? And they're all like, oh man, I, you know, they roll their eyes. <laughs> and I love it. And I love it. I go, no, really? Like, how did you, how have you changed the world? And someone will say like, oh, I held a door for someone. And then I'll be like, well, how does that change the world? And then they'll be like, well, I guess that person was happier today. And, and I go, how does that change the world? Well, if that person was happier, and then they start going down the line and start making the actual connections. And I talk to them about the fact that even if they just smiled at someone, 
French neurologists find that when we smile at someone, it, it changes people's brain composition really forever. Whoa. Yeah. Like we get the same amount of dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin release when someone sees a smile as if you were to give them $40,000 in cash. These have been controlled Whoa. experimental studies. Or if you were to give them a lot of high quality chocolates, they actually use that as an experimental mechanism. So I tell these students, people develop new neural pathways when they see a new face. So I just say, did anybody meet someone new today? Yeah. I go, well, you change someone's brain composition. So the message is in that exercise is that you can't not matter. Scientifically, you matter. What you do today has an inevitable, infinite impact. People who are able to see that impact and imagine it tend to experience more mattering for themselves. So that is one way that someone can remind themselves that they matter in the absence of that external validation, which is ultimately critical, as I talked about. It reminds me of the saying, to the world, you may just be one person, but to one person, you may be the world. Yeah, yeah. But the thing about this is, is it's not like fluffy, touchy-feely stuff. It is literally a scientific, from biological systems theory, that what you put out into the world has an infinite impact. We have trouble applying that thinking to ourselves as humans. Right, right. And I'm thinking as you're talking, particularly what you said about the impact of a smile. And I'm thinking about our current cultural context, which is everywhere we're out in public, we're wearing masks and we're covering mm, yeah. our smiles. And I realized how limiting it feels in those interactions to have an impact on another person because they can't see all of your facial expressions. Yeah, I get why we have to wear the mask, but I'm seeing even more layers to the impact and how we have to work that much harder to say, because they may not see that we notice that person. Oh, yeah. Lock eye contact. The skills of mattering are even more important now. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly in the schools, you know, teachers may not, yeah. I know some are exploring face shields, but teachers may not have all of their face visible to students. And I'm thinking too, how do we make sure we're showing every child that he or she matters when they're at home virtually? Mm. How do we say you are noticed through a computer? Mm. I mean, I think that there has to be, there should be built-in ways for the class whether you're in kindergarten or a senior in high school, to be able to really authentically affirm each other's contributions. Mm -hmm. um, there should be space and a framework to do that. Students should be learning the skills to cultivate mattering around them starting as early as possible, in my opinion. And I think teachers can facilitate that. Many teachers right now virtually have morning meetings, for example, and most morning meetings, as I looked at the schedule for my kindergartner, it seems to be just like, here's what we're going to do today. Here's everybody in the classroom. But maybe start out with, hey, what's something you did that you loved this weekend? What's something that you did that you thought you were really good at this weekend? Can everybody share? Or what's one thing that you appreciate about a classmate? It's those little things that start, I think, cultivating these micro experiences of mattering that can build up and turn into habits and routines over time, even though they may be awkward at first. I mean, I always say that just because people aren't participating in it 
doesn't mean that it's not working. It's because it's something that is different than how they've been socialized up to this point to talk about. I think that one-on-one time with a teacher, because I know so many are doing virtual office hours, instead of just going, hey, let's see how you're doing with reading. Let's see how you're doing with phonetics. Let's see how you're doing with this. I mean, that's like the most, (laughs) that's like a checklist of things, right? Mm -hmm. What's and how's. Making sure you structure into that, hey, I notice when you do this. I notice these strengths in you. You know, I know you're getting better at your reading and writing and that perseverance that you keep trying is something I really value about you. And that perseverance is so important for our whole group to learn from you. That's a very different way of saying, we'd like you to improve on your reading. Absolutely. And I don't think anybody outgrows needing to hear this because this is core. This is stuff that we need at our core and we never outgrow. And absolutely, we should give this to our kids, cultivate this in our kids as early on as possible. But I think we need to keep hearing this throughout our lives, right? Yeah, I think the people that like lament about the younger generation getting ribbons for everything needed to get ribbons. I think that, and I'm not saying this facetiously at Mm -hmm. all. I'm saying this in my experience working with people. Some of the most hardened people who think that this is the fluffy stuff are actually the people that end up really needing it most. And I think that that's important, especially when you're working with kids and, and, and teenagers, because there can be that exterior, that defensiveness. And we have to remember that defensiveness is a symptom of something. It's not who someone is. It's a behavioral response or being closed off. And usually, I would venture to say or hypothesize that there's probably some gap in mattering that's going on. And this process of making someone else feel they matter is disarming. Yeah. Tell me, what do you mean? By, tell me more about that. I like that word. Well, I'm thinking about those that might have that rough exterior. And as you say, it's a symptom of something deeper. They might be quick to defend or combat, right? Yeah. But when you say, Zach, I see that you are taking the time and effort to be on this podcast today and share your wisdom with all of us, which speaks to your wealth of knowledge and your kindness in sharing all of this with us. And this is a big game changer in our lives as parents. When I say that to you or someone else, how can you come back at that with that combativeness, right? I think it really just brings down our walls. That's what I mean by disarming. That is such a great point. And it completely changes the tone of that conversation and relationship. And I would say we need a lot more of that disarming in our world these days. Yeah. And maybe the bigger societal insight we're getting is that there's just a lot of people right now that don't feel they matter. And Mm. just being more intentional about pointing out every single person that you come into contact with, how they matter, that might just change the tone of culture overall. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Could you imagine a world in which every person 
believed they mattered. Yes. Let's get there. Let's do that. Yeah, and yeah. and it starts as parents. So actually, as I think about that, I'm curious, you know, we say a lot about how when you learn a language, you have this prime window of time. I think it's up until age seven that we're mm. most likely to quickly learn a language. Now, can you learn it later? Sure, but it's harder. Is that the same as developing the sense of mattering? Is there some window of opportunity up to a certain age? And if you didn't feel you mattered as a child, it's really hard to feel that as an adult. How does that work? I don't know. And we don't know yet. We don't really know enough from the science of mattering and the lived experience of mattering. Believe it or not, what's really funny is like Gordon Flett's Psychology of Mattering book is the first comprehensive book on mattering. came out in 2018. Whoa. It's almost a toddler of a psychological concept. And yet it's so obvious when you start talking about it. So I think those are great questions. But I would say, just like our brains are wired to learn language, as kids, if we're not around people who speak, we'll never speak. So just as we're wired to experience mattering and to need significance, and we're wired for things like purpose, if we're not around people who are doing it, then that never gets activated. So it's a metaphor that connects with language because our brains are wired to learn language. But if you were born and never were around someone that spoke, you would never speak. And I think the same thing with these essential needs, such as mattering, significance, and purpose and meaning. Well, I think that's the big takeaway for all of us listening is we need to first feel that we as parents matter and we have something to contribute and we have inherent worth. And then we need to point that out in our kids, following that formula and showing them every single day how we can help those people around us feel that they matter too. I love that. If all of us go today looking for those kinds of opportunities, I know our worlds will be a better place and that will absolutely build on itself. Just like you showed those 17 and 18 year olds how just holding the door open and smiling has this incredible ripple effect more than we can even know. So Zach, if folks want to learn more about you and your work, how can they do that? Yeah, I mean, the latest article that I wrote, it's on my blog, it's at zachmercurio.com and it's around the science of mattering. So if you want to learn more about this and, you know, read it, some people like to read uh, supplemental stuff, especially after podcasts, go there and read that. Then feel free to sign up for my monthly newsletter called The Spark. And I talk about all of these things and some practices that you can use. And then feel free to email me and connect with me at Zach at ZachMercurio.com. Awesome. And we'll include links to all those resources on the episode page as well. I could talk about this all day long. I find this fascinating. I am definitely going to keep track of all the research that you're doing because I know it's ever evolving. Thanks again for taking the time to come on and share with us all that you know about mattering and why it's so important in our lives. Yeah, thanks for putting this message out into the world. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.